0: It is not the traditions or following the rules or wearing the right thing or saying the right thing or knowing the right, you know, church things to say or singing the right songs or doing whatever. It's none of that that saves you. None of that is what saves you. What makes you special, what makes you a child of God, what what saves you is belief in Jesus Christ. Repentance and belief, that's it. And God's forgiveness is grace a free gift. You can do nothing to earn it.
1: We all have traditions of one sort or another, and as we'll see today, they can really get in the way of seeing the truth. Here's Pastor David.
0: As you recall, just do a quick recap here, the very beginning of the book of Acts, Luke is talking about the many infallible proofs for the resurrection and the witnesses and the apostles and the others who saw Jesus resurrected. And then we see Jesus telling them to go and be witnesses, right? And then we see them going and doing that. And so um, that's been sort of the whole story, the Holy Spirit's work through the early church And the witnesses of the resurrection. And the reason the church grew was not because it was this great new idea. The reason the church grew is because Jesus rose from the dead. And so don't lose that just because it's not Easter this week. It's not Resurrection Sunday this week. The reason that we do church on Sundays, because remember, the Jewish folks did did Sabbath on the Saturday, Friday at at sundown to Saturday at sundown, right? We don't use that. We use Sunday because it's the Lord's day, because it's the day Jesus rose from the dead. That's how important the resurrection is. So we've seen, as the church has gone, and as they've witnessed the resurrection, we saw Pentecost, the Holy Spirit descends on, on on the church at that time, about 120 folks, and they start speaking in different languages. And there's all these people who are there from all over the world. And they're hearing these folks speak in their language, glorifying God. They, they realize this is a miracle. It gives Peter an opportunity to preach. He does. Preaches forgiveness of sins, repentance, and life in Christ through his resurrection. And 3,000 people join the church. Pretty effective uh, sermon. And then we see the church just kind of take off like a shot and it's growing. And then we see some persecution, right? From the outside, uh, you know, you got Peter and John getting arrested. You got the other apostles getting arrested. uh, You see stuff going on the inside uh, with, with folks doing some things, some hypocrisy and some things like that. But every time what you see is the church Coming together and growing. Coming together and growing. Right? Growing in their, in their faith. Growing in numbers. All of this continues to happen. And then we see Stephen, the deacon, is martyred. He's killed because he's proclaiming the name of Jesus. And we see everybody go out. They all disperse out. And as they disperse out, they bring the word to people all over the place. We saw the Samaritans come to the Lord. We saw the Ethiopian eunuch come to the Lord. And then most recently, we saw... The Gentile uh, Cornelius, the uh, the centurion of the Roman army, come to the Lord. And remember, that was a crazy thing because Jews did not kick it with Gentiles. It's not the way it went. It was totally, totally not okay to hang out with, go into the house of, eat with, and so on, Gentiles. Right. And so that's where we left it at the end of Acts 10. Peter has had this vision, Cornelius has had this vision, they get together, Peter preaches the word, they believe, the Holy Spirit falls on them, they speak in tongues, this is the sign that God has brought uh, Jesus Christ to the Gentiles as well, and that they have the Holy Spirit as well, that they are now followers of Christ, they get baptized, they ask Peter to stay with them for a little while, and he does, and then we move into where we are today, which is chapter 11. We're going to start with verse 1. It says, now the apostles and brethren who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. Uh, so the, the apostles and the other brothers um, and sisters and so on who were in Jerusalem and in Judea, they hear, ahead of Peter getting back, they hear this story about Cornelius and, this, and, this, and his family, his household, coming to know Jesus, right, and the Holy Spirit falling on them and so on. And this is just, it's absolutely crazy to them you know, these, I've told you before, they did not like Gentiles. Gentiles were bad. They did not like, they didn't want to touch them. And when you're talking now, not just Gentile, but Roman centurion, right? A Roman soldier. These guys were not on the top of the list to make buddies with. These were the occupiers. They could not stand. They wanted them all to die. They wanted them out of there. They wanted, they wanted to take back their land. I mean, they could not stand these people. So that a Gentile Roman centurion comes to know Jesus Christ is just, it's blowing things up. You know, it's come all the way back from where they were in Caesarea. It's come all the way back to Jerusalem. These guys have all heard about it. And let's look at the next couple of verses to see how they react. It says, and when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision contended with him saying, you went into uncircumcised men and ate with them. Exclamation point. I don't know if they had exclamation points in Greek. I don't think so. But you get the, the idea, right? They are mad. They're steaming. They hold these traditions so close. These traditions are so important to them. And we've seen maybe why. Because these are the things that separate them from other people. And the things that separate us from other people sometimes are the things that we hold on to to think that we're better than other people. And so here they are contending with Peter about this issue. Hey, I can't believe that you went into the house of a Gentile and ate with them. Can't do it. It's against the law, right? It's against tradition. It's against our rules. It's against all of that. How could you do? You're one of the leaders here of of the Christ followers, and you're going out and doing something like this. They're contending. They are fighting, with Peter about this, they are steamed. Okay, their prejudice is very, very strong. But before we get too judgy on these guys, let me tell you that Peter, who's the one who was sent to, according to this, who was given a clear vision from God, who saw them get saved, physically saw them, the Holy Spirit fall on them, knew he was when they got baptized, the whole thing. He later on down the road reverts back. On some of this. So if we read in Galatians uh, chapter 2, verses 11 through 13, it says this is Paul um, writing. Um, and he says, when, Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face, because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. Okay, Those who were of the circumcision, we see a similar phrase here, and he's talking about the f- folks that are contending with Peter, right? Those of the circumcision. These, these, In this passage in Galatians, we're talking about um, believers who thought that in order to be saved, you had to get circumcised and follow the the Jewish rituals, rites, and rules. Okay, that's what they thought it took to be saved. So he's contending, I'm sorry, Peter later withdraws himself from the Gentiles, won't eat with them, and hangs out with these other guys because he's afraid of them. And Paul goes on, and the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. Now, that shows us that, because we're about to see Peter make an argument for why the Gentiles should be treated the same and why they have, have Jesus, why they're followers of Christ. We're about to make this whole argument. And I want us to remember as we read through this, that this same guy who makes this argument, this this same guy who saw this happen, at some point, at some point, he reverts. He falls into something he shouldn't, right? And so, so for some of us, I think, for me at least, because I screw up I make dumb mistakes. It helps me to know that even Peter and these guys make these kinds of mistakes too. But recognize that the kind of prejudice that existed at this time due to Gentile was very, very strong. Very powerful prejudice, okay? We're going to see by the end of this chapter that Paul and Barnabas uh, are in Antioch together seeing Gentiles getting saved. And Barnabas also later on, as it just said in that passage, wouldn't eat with them and and would only eat with, uh, with the circumcision. So... Um, we're going to read this defense now by Peter, okay? And Peter's going to give this defense, and he's going to repeat some of the stuff that we read in chapter 10. One source that I read says, look, they would repeat these things, these key points. Ancient writers would repeat key points multiple times to emphasize that these are key points, okay? And so we're going to see, once again, Peter talk about his vision, talk about Cornelius' vision, which I think we've seen at least twice In chapter 10, for each of those. So, once again, we're going to hear about it. Starting in verse 4, it says, But Peter explained it to them in order from the beginning, saying, I was in the city of Joppa, praying, and in the trance I saw a vision, an object ascending like a great sheet let down from heaven by four corners, and it came to me. When I observed it intently and considered, I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, Not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has at any time entered my mouth. But the voice answered me again from heaven, What God has cleansed you must not call common. So, again, you've got to put yourself in the right mindset here. Peter, just a few days before, is in this same situation where he is holding these traditions so strongly, they're so important, that he'll tell God that God is wrong about what he should do because he thinks these traditions are so important. That's where these guys are as he's talking to them, okay? Now, verse 10. Now, this was done three times, and all were drawn up again into heaven. At that very moment, three men stood before the house where I was, having been sent to me from Caesarea. Then the Spirit told me to go with them. Doubting nothing. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how we had seen an angel standing in his house, who said to him, Send men to Joppa, and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who will tell you words by which you and all your household will be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon us at the beginning. Then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If therefore God gave them the same gift as he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? Now, he gives a story, and then this last verse there in verse 17, that's that's the honey spot of the argument. That's where he nails it down for them, okay? It's a couple things that he emphasizes here. The first one is this. The gift that was given to the Gentiles is the same gift the same gift that was given to us, not different, not lesser, not more gentile nothing. It was the same gift that was given to us. The same sign that shows that we, that the church had started, the Holy Spirit was here for us, is the same thing he did with the Gentiles, right? We've seen this already. The Holy Spirit has come on the Jews who were in the original church. We saw the Holy Spirit fall on the Samaritans. We see the Holy Spirit fall on the Gentiles. He's saying, look, Same gift. Same gift. And then he makes a point about when they got it. And when did they get it? When they believed. Not when they got circumcised. So he's making a very important point. We got the gift when we believed. They got the gift when they believed. They did not go out and get circumcised. They did not start eating the right kinds of foods. They did not start doing all the ceremonies and doing all the traditions. They got the Holy Spirit when they believed. That's what it took. That's all it took. This is very important. We have this tendency, and by the way, every other religion on earth relies on the idea that you must do something to earn your way to be right with God, to earn your way to whatever. It's your work somewhere, but the difference is Christianity. It's the only one that's different. It is not your work at all. It's God's work. It's 100% God's work. So he's telling these folks, listen, you believe that these traditions are important for a reason that they're not important for. They're not important for the reason of salvation. They're not important for whether or not you know Jesus. That's not their importance. And so you need to stop holding them there because as we got the Holy Spirit when we believed, they got the Holy Spirit when they believed. Okay? So it was clear that the Holy Spirit and and being a Christ follower is not wrapped up in all these traditions and all these things that they think are so important. Oh, I've never. Well, I've never eaten anything unclean. Right? He says, and then he says this, "Who was I that I could withstand God?" And this has got a particularly kind of powerful hint to it because if you remember back in back in chapter 4, John and Peter get arrested. And the, the folks, the Sanhedrin and so on, tells them, listen, stop preaching. Stop teaching in the name of Jesus. Don't do it anymore. And, and let's look at what they said. Chapter 4, verses 19 and 20. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Now Peter here in this argument is saying something very similar. He's saying, I saw this thing happen. God gave me a vision. I saw it happen. I saw the power of the Spirit putting his stamp on it, sealing it. What can I do? I can't argue. I'm not going against God on this. The implication being, if you want to contend with me, you aren't contending with me. You're contending with God. So if you want to argue with him, go for it. That's, That's the implication here of his argument. Let's look at the next verse and see how they reacted. It says... When they heard these things, they became silent and they glorified God, saying, Then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. They hear his argument, they go silent. All my years as an attorney, never. Never was my argument so good that the other attorney didn't get up and talk right afterwards, right? Uh, I don't understand why. I mean, my arguments were so convincing. I don't know why they just give up, but they never did. Um, They always always had something to say after I did. These guys didn't. These guys had the uh, wisdom to be quiet for a second and think about what happened, and their reaction was the right one. They glorified God. They glorified God, right? The Gentiles have repentance unto life. I like that. I like that phrase because it describes my experience as a child of Christ, as a child of God. My experience has been exactly that, repentance unto life. When I came and said, I'm turning from all of this. I can't can't make this right, God. I'm putting it all out there. Please forgive me. The experience that I had from there could only be described as life. It's an experience that you only have in Christ. Life right? Repentance unto life. It's such an apt description. And so these guys recognize that that's what's happening, right? And praise God that Gentiles can be saved (laughs) because, you know, most of us are Gentiles. And so it's an amazing thing that they see, and it's an amazing thing that they come around to it through Peter's argument. But unfortunately, just like Peter and Barnabas, who play the hypocrite later on, there are some... Others who do so as well. In fact, we're going to get to chapter 15 someday. And when we do, we will see this. In chapter 15, verse 1, it says this And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. So it comes back. Even though these guys are like, Absolutely, praise God, repentance to the Gentiles, it was like, but really they do need to be circumcised, right? And they get back into that, and they start bringing up their traditions and those things that separate them from other people again. That happens. So that's still to come, but at this point, they're accepting the Gentile believers into the church, okay? So um, what God is showing them is this. It is not the traditions or following the rules or wearing the right thing, or saying the right thing, or knowing the right you know, church things to say, or singing the right songs, or doing whatever. It's none of that that saves you. None of that is what saves you. What makes you special, <laughs> what makes you a child of God, what, what saves you is belief in Jesus Christ. Repentance and belief, that's it. And God's forgiveness is grace, a free gift. You can do nothing to earn it. You can't get it by following traditions. You can't get it by being good. That's what religion wants to do. All all these religions, everybody, it's, hey, be good, do this, do that, wear this, say that, read this, don't watch that, whatever. And if you do all these things, maybe God will say you're good enough. He will never say you're good enough based on that. Never. These guys couldn't make it happen no matter how, how much they cut off. And Paul makes that explicitly clear, actually. That's scriptural. Okay, Um, It was never going to be enough. It was never going to be enough. Okay, Um, And here's the thing. The more that you will rest in that, it's not your self-sufficiency. You cannot rely on you. You must rely on God. The more that you will rest in that, the less likely you are, the less likely I am, to become a Pharisee. And to start building up things other than repentance and belief for salvation. Now listen. That doesn't mean that we, don't, we, should, we ought not to do what's right and what's good. Of course, we do those things as a response to the gift of grace that God has given us. But those are not what saves us. And the more you rest in that, the less you will be relying on yourself and elevating your traditions, and the more you will understand the gospel. And the more attractive the gospel will be to those outside the church who God is drawing to himself. Because when you go out there and you act like you're better than other people, You act like you have something more because you do this or you don't do that or whatever. That is not inviting. That is not the kind of thing where people say, yeah, I want to be part of that. But when you say, hey, Jesus, all Jesus, all the time, none of me, that is inviting. Because it's the truth. That
1: is the truth. The only way to be saved is a relationship with Jesus. And if you've realized that you need Him, that can happen right now, wherever you are. Simply tell Him that you believe He's the Son of God. Ask Him to forgive your sins and be your Lord and Savior, and He will. And if we can help you in any way to make that life-changing decision for Christ, call us at 360-885-9000. Or come see us at Acts Church this Sunday morning. We'd love to help you find life. Well, that's it for today, and I hope you'll join us next time for more with Pastor David Robinson here on Contemplate.